Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant. Um, you know, as we, uh, we get into our study this evening, we're in Nehemiah chapter 6 uh, is where we're at. Nehemiah chapter 6. And um, I was thinking of the, the, uh, the confidence that Nehemiah had in his God. Uh, that's the whole reason why he, uh, he had these attributes that we will see very clearly this evening. We'll, um, actually, we, we have seen it throughout um, the, the last five chapters that we've been through, but Tonight, it'll be further defined as far as these characteristics are concerned. And, and I can't help but think that this is only possible if Nehemiah had a faith that was immovable. That was, he knew his God. He knew what God was capable of and what he had the power and authority to do. Three things that we'll see tonight, again, in this chapter, in the servant of the Lord, Nehemiah, is discipline, discernment, and diligence. Discipline, discernment, and diligence. I admire Nehemiah for possessing these three qualities Nehemiah, you see, was consistently in control of himself and always kept the main thing the main thing. You know, we, we hear that, that saying uh, today, and we hear, you know, keep the main thing the main thing. And it seems like Nehemiah, that's exactly what he did. He kept the main thing the main thing. He wasn't shaken by threats. He wasn't moved by attempted distractions whether it was from without or from within. Nehemiah is a man that, as we've seen up to this point, and we will continue to see this consistently with him, is that he was able to judge matters well. He had a sound perception, responded accordingly, exhibiting wisdom, he was clever in handling situations. Nehemiah was careful and persistent in his work. He was dedicated and he was tenacious. As we will see this evening, Nehemiah and his team finished the wall. But it wasn't without the continued series of attacks that were brought forth by the enemy. One after another, after another, after another. For us, I pray that these are all valuable lessons. Lessons that we can learn. And as we learn those things, it's not just information that we've gathered about Nehemiah or about this situation, but it's, it's information. It's, it's a lesson that we can learn and apply to our lives Today, you know, Jesus, when he set his face like flint toward Jerusalem, he was met by a barrage of attacks. But we know our Lord, he stayed the course. 
and he finished what he was sent by the Father to do. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And yet he did. Nehemiah is a great reflection of the character of God. And, and as we, we look to what happened, uh, the events that took place in this chapter, may you also be encouraged by that. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time that you've given to us to study your word. We ask, as always, Father, that you would give us understanding by your spirit who leads us into all truth, that we would know that which we have before us, Lord, that we would be able to see it clearly for what it is. Lord, instructions for us to be better stewards of the lives that you've entrusted to us, the very lives that you have purchased with the lifeblood of Jesus Christ, that we would demonstrate our love for you joyfully and willingly by walking out these things your wisdom, truth, Lord, in a way that is honoring to you. And so, Father, we commit this time into your hands. We ask your blessing, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Nehemiah chapter 6, verse 1. <clears throat> now, when Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem the Arab and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the doors and the gates... Sanballat and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come, and let us meet together at Hakephrim in the plain of Ono. But they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them, saying, I am doing a great work, and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way, and I answered them in the same manner. The wall was almost finished. The wall itself being built, the only thing that was left to do was to hang the doors or the gates in those openings. And now we have Sambalot, Tobiah, and Geshem. They hear about the wall having been built, almost completely done, the whole work. And it's at that point that they sent someone to call on Nehemiah to come down from the work that he was engaged in and to meet with them. It's interesting, and we know that Sambalot, Tobiah, and Geshem, Geshem, they all had a problem with the work of the Lord. They all had a problem with Nehemiah being there from the very beginning, from chapter 2, we saw how it was that 
they were bothered by the fact that they came to help the Jews. And so to me, it's interesting how they made the invitation sound like it was friendly, reconciliatory, almost as if perhaps this would give Nehemiah much needed rest for a few days while he met with them. But no matter what was spoken by them or anyone else, Nehemiah possessed discernment. This is the ability to judge a matter according to God's perspective. They may have made it sound one way, but Nehemiah discerned that they intended to do him harm. And it was true. Like I said, from the very beginning, this is exactly what they had expressed and communicated very clearly to Nehemiah. And to the Jews, there's a reason why they had to, had to stand guard. There was a reason why they had to make sure that they had a strong defense. It was because of these men that posed a threat to the very work of the Lord. And so he discerned that they intended to do him harm. Outwardly or on the surface, they seemed to have good intentions. The question is, Nehemiah, do you not want to be reconciled with these men? The answer would be yes, of course. And at the same time, Nehemiah was discerning. This is not their intention. They're not desiring to reconcile. They're merely desiring to bring me down from the work so they can take me out. That's what he was discerning. But I could just imagine other people saying, Nehemiah, why don't you go down? It seems like they have something that is good. And yet they didn't. They did not have good intentions. Nehemiah wouldn't, does mean you lack compassion. If you mean I lack compassion towards someone or a work that would undermine God's work, then I guess you can, I'd be guilty of that, right? Guilty is charged. But like it is written, and we cannot change what is written, but they intended to do me harm. Nehemiah discerned this while it may have looked different to others. Alan Redpath had this to say, quote, Whether you be a pastor or a teacher or evangelist or Sunday school leader, or whatever your position may be in Christian leadership, let me say that there will always be those who are friendly to your face, but plan your downfall behind your back. Beware of the fawning, flattering Christian who is always fluttering around you and who behind your back will be the first to rejoice when you go down. Close quote. Alan Redpath, you know, Don McClure is one of my favorite teachers. And he was actually, he was, uh, he was discipled by Alan Redpath. I love how it is that Alan Redpath rubbed off on Don McClure. And he, he was blessed with that relationship. Well, it was... It was his teacher, 
You could say Alan Redpath. Having known ministry for a number of years, had these words to say, are you a school teacher? Sunday school teacher. Are you someone who is in any position of influence here within the church? Well, these words are for you. This has always been difficult for me. That is to accept this to be true, and yet it is. And serves to confirm that there is a real spiritual battle that is going on. And the enemy uses undiscerning people to undermine, distract from, delay, or even if possible, stop God's desired work. Discernment itself, oh, the ministry of discernment. We should all have the ministry of discernment. Discernment, although, is often viewed as critical. Discernment is often viewed as negative or really sensitive. And sometimes, yes, even cynical. But this discernment can be applied in such a way that one sees things also that others do not see in others. In a positive way. So it goes both ways. It's not just to point out and discern that which is wicked or evil. It's a discerning of the spirits. But it's also knowing when something is right. But also being able to discern when something is not right. Lack of discernment is known when a person accepts things just because they sound good or they look good. Remember, in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, the Lord said to Samuel, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. The Lord looks on the heart. You see, Samuel was looking and he was trying to choose a king for Israel. And he was, he was looking, he was thinking that that one right there, he looks like the king. Head and shoulders above everyone else. Handsome man, he would definitely be the king. Nope, not that one. And that's when God told him, man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. You see, when a person fails to consider the whole counsel of God's word, it leads to an incomplete view of a situation. For instance, Proverbs 18, 17 says, the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. Like in the case of Nehemiah, without having and exercising discernment, he could have received the invitation. Again, the first one who's, who states his case first seems right. Of course, they made the invitation, and people could have said, yes, that is the right thing to do. And without having and exercising discernment, he could have received that invitation and gone into a dangerous situation that would have led him to his downfall. Lack of discernment, you see, is a presumptuous faith, exposes self-righteousness, and is blind to people who seem to be wonderful and yet are serving to destroy God's work. 
Because on the surface, you see Sanballat and Tobiah and Geshem were doing a noble thing by extending an olive branch to Nehemiah, weren't they? They were extending an olive tree, an olive branch, I mean, to Nehemiah. And on the surface, it was a noble thing. But as Nehemiah considered, more than just the invitation, he discerned bad intentions, and he was right in doing so. In Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11, regarding discernment, about this we have much to say, and it is hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you, again, the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Discernment. How do we gain discernment? Number one, study God's word. Second Timothy 2.15. Study, uh, I'll give it to you in the New King James Version. Study to show yourself approved to God, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of God. So that we may rightly divide it, handle it. Right? That is the whole counsel of God's word. Not just a portion, but you can't cherry pick. You've got you to know the whole thing. That way, you see its consistency, God's consistency, God's character. We need to be mature in the application of God's word that you may be able to take every thought captive to obey Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5. That takes maturity. That takes discipline. That means that we can recognize when the thoughts that we're getting in our minds, as I said on Sunday, we cannot trust our emotions. We cannot. Therefore, we acknowledge our emotions and at the same time, think about what, what are we thinking. That takes discipline and maturity. At that moment, we ought to consider that. And if it's not of the Lord, then we take them captive and then we, we give them over. And you can see this picture in your own mind. You're giving that over to the Lord. That your thoughts may in turn obey Christ and not be opposed to Christ. So study God's word. Study and know it. Take every thought captive to obey Christ. And ask God for the gift of, of discernment. It is a gift. Write, write it down. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10. The gift of discernment. Do you want it? I hope you do. Because it is critical. Especially in today's world. It is critical that you have discernment. We see it. Here before us in Nehemiah, with discernment, Nehemiah not only avoided harm, but he didn't even skip a beat when it came to continuing the work that God had called him to. Did not skip a beat, just kept going. 
Nehemiah knew that the work that God had called him to was a great work. Whatever work God has called you to, it's a great work. It's a great work. It's a good work. And there was no way that he was going to allow anything to bring him down from that great work. There was no way. Literally and figuratively, Nehemiah would have been leaving the high place of doing God's work and he would be going down to the enemy's level. Nehemiah, again, exemplary in his discipline. Exemplary in his focus. He was fixed upon the work that had been given to him by the Lord. Again, what they were calling on him to do may have sounded good, but it was not what God had called him to. You, servants of the Most High, will receive a thousand offers to do noble and good things, but are they what God has called you to do? Are you discerning? Please ask God for discernment that you may have God's view of life, situations, temptations, and the things above all that he has called you to do and what will take you away from that. Sanballat and Tobiah, they didn't just call on Nehemiah once, but they called on him twice, three times, four times, And Nehemiah answered the same way every single time. I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? Four times, same answer. With God and his wisdom and discernment, the enemy's relentless attacks only serve to deepen your resolve to deny the enemy and mature your faith in God. It it actually deepens your faith in God. I refuse to leave this great work. And you see the attacks, and you you know, oh, my goodness. I'm in the right place. The Lord warned us about this. I'm in the right place. But we know the enemy wasn't given up. This, is, this was phase one, by the way. This was phase one in the enemy's attacks against Nehemiah. Next, he sent an open letter. Let's continue. Verse five it says, In the same way, Sanballat, for the fifth time, sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. That is, why are you building the wall? The whole reason for it. And according to these reports, you wish to become their king. And you have also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So now come and let us take counsel together. Then I sent to him saying, no such things as you say have been done. For you are inventing them out of your own mind. For they all wanted to frighten us, thinking 
Their hands will drop from the work and it will not be done. But now, O oh God, strengthen my hands. So four times already, someone was sent to Nehemiah. Come down so we can have a conversation. No, 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 and no. The fifth time, now someone is sent with an open letter to Nehemiah. What this means is that these, the words that were contained in this letter, was, they were open for everyone to read. It wasn't sealed. But that was a whole strategy. The strategy of sending an open letter was to spread false accusations about Nehemiah throughout the people and weaken Nehemiah's influence. That's exactly what they wanted to do. Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem, they were all in on it. An open letter. Everyone, please read it. Although, it wasn't supposed to be read by anyone, of course. They gave it openly. That was by design. I think about how it is that Absalom tried to do this with his father, David. And in some respects, he succeeded. But in the end, God won out, as he always does. In 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1, this is the account of that situation, that event. It says, after this, Absalom got himself a chariot and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom used to rise early and stand beside the way of the gates. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and say, from what city are you? And when he said, your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, see your claims are good and right. But there is no man designated by the king to hear you. Then Absalom would say, oh, that I were judge in the land. Then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me, and I would give him justice. And whenever a man came near to pay homage to him, he would put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him. Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. This is a similar story as we think about what Tobiah and Sanballat and Geshem were doing. They're trying to win the hearts of the men so that they could have them turn on Nehemiah. You see, Sanballat was doing, what he was doing was attempting to sway popular opinion against Nehemiah. In fact, what it says in the letter, it is reported among the nations. Oh, by the way, Geshem also says it. It's similar to saying, everyone is saying this about you, including so-and-so. You ever heard that? Everyone is saying this about you, including, and they'll drop a name. Well, very generic, very open. What is that designed to do? It's designed to undermine in this case, Nehemiah. 
vague and implied accusations are designed to put doubt about someone in the mind of others. The bottom line is that it is slander. It gives, gives a perceived and wrong impression of someone else. It doesn't matter if the whole world says that Jesus is not the Son of God and is not the only way to the Father. The fact is that God sent His only begotten Son to shed His blood on the cross to pay for the sins of the world. And by His grace through faith, we know eternal life only through Him. It doesn't matter if the whole world denies it or says something different. And so it is with truth. It doesn't matter how people twist truth. It does not matter. The bottom line is what is truth is truth. The twisting of facts or outright lies that are popular doesn't make it ever true. You see the Jews... Do they have, were they intending on rebelling? No. They were not. By the way, that was in the letter. That was not the reason why they were building the wall. Remember that they were reestablishing the worship of their God. Remember that they were building community, not to rebel against anyone, wanted to build the community of the people of God. Nehemiah was not there to promote himself to become king. In fact, he told King Artaxerxes he was going to return to him after a period of time. Did he not? This accusation of promoting himself to king was in the letter. Was it true? The answer is no, it was not true. You see, Sanballat said these things to strike fear in the heart of Nehemiah to get him to stop. Even in the final stage, you could say, of rebuilding the wall. He wanted to use it as leverage to get Nehemiah to meet with him. Implying there was a threat. And by the way, I, Sanballat, can fix it all. You meet with me, and I can fix it all. Let me ask you this. Do you think that Satan knows your triggers? He knows them very well. Ooh, he probably knows them better than you do. Your, your hot buttons. The things that get you angry and make you react in the flesh. And that'll happen 100% of the times if you are not disciplined if you're not in control of your emotions. That'll happen 100% of the time. And then the accuser of the brethren will go, aha, gotcha. Nehemiah's response. He sent that word back to Sanballat. And he said, no such things as you say have been done, for you are inventing them out of your own mind. In other words, Sanblot, you're a liar. You're lying. You're inventing these things in your own mind. These, this is your own imagination, things you're, you're just making up. Nothing what you're saying is true. 
Again, Nehemiah was a discerning man. He was a godly man, a wise man. And in that place of discipline and discernment, he was unmoved and refused to give in to the lies, into the manipulation of the enemy. And Sanballat tried all kinds of different ways to try and get him to come. All kinds of different ways, four times and then fifth one with an open letter. But Nehemiah refused. He did not, no matter how many times Sanballat tried, over and over and over. Listen, the enemy is relentless. He'll go after you again and again. And just when you think there's like a little lull and he's going to stop doing it, do not, do not rest, do not put your guard down because he's going to come at you again. We need to notice that Nehemiah did not spend much time defending himself, did he? Or he didn't really defend himself. All he said that you're just you're making these things up in your own mind. Not true. Why? Because he knew it was all a lie. He was calm, cool, and collected. Disciplined in his response. What an example. Brothers and sisters, what an example here we have before us. I mean, this is an onslaught from the enemy. And yet this man, Nehemiah, was just was unmoved. Not that this response, of Nehemiah's response was going to stop Sanballat. Because he didn't care if he was called a liar so long as it stopped the work of the Lord. That's the only thing that Sanballat cared for. That's all he wanted to do. John 8, 44, Jesus said this to those who were leading people astray from the faith. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Of course, you know, to the people that he was referring this to, of course, it stung. In fact, they had actually called Jesus an illegitimate child, a bastard, a fatherless child. The Son of Man, the Son of God, our Savior, the Lord himself. Listen, we can't stop what others are going to say of us. But we can remain determined to continue to do what God has called us to do. We can be disciplined in how we respond, and that's what matters. Matthew 10, 28, And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Nehemiah prayed, 
asking God to strengthen his hands in this moment. Think about, again, pointing out that Nehemiah was a man of prayer. He was a man who knew his God well. And in that moment, five times in this period, they came at him. He asked God, please strengthen my hands. Notice that he didn't ask God to take anything away from him. Not to remove him from the situation, but only to strengthen him to be able to continue the work under any circumstances, attacks or pressures that were applied by his enemies. He simply asked, God, strengthen my hands. May you keep my hands on the tools to continue to advance and do the work that you have called me to do. May that be our prayer. I don't ask you to remove me from these difficulties, but I do ask you, Lord, strengthen my hands, please. I am in desperate need. Please strengthen my hands that I may be faithful to you in completing the task that you have entrusted to me. May you receive the glory. May I never quit or give up. May I continue to persevere in the thing that you have called me to. That was Nehemiah's prayer. Strengthen my hands, God. But the attacks weren't done. Verse 10. Now when I went into the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deleah, son of Metabel, who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill, uh, to kill you by night. But I said, should such a man as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. For this purpose he was hired, that I should be afraid and act in this way and sin. And so they could give me a bad name in order to taunt me. Remember Tobiah and Sanballat, oh my God, according to these things that they did, and also the prophetess, Noadiah and the rest of the prophets who wanted to make me afraid. So they, he wasn't the only one. There were others that were conspiring against Nehemiah. And he mentioned them there. But this prophet, quote unquote prophet, Shemaim, he, he offered him, again, it seemed good on the surface, right? He offered him refuge in the temple. Come with me. Let's go into the temple that you may be safe. You see, they are going to come and kill you, and they're going to, going to kill you by night. So come. I will come with you. And you can take refuge with me in the temple. But this man... Notice the tactic that he is using. Fear. Fear. This was a tactic to get Nehemiah to agree. 
telling them, hey, they're going to come and kill you. Immediately upon hearing that, anyone would have this feeling of fear come upon them initially. Perhaps Nehemiah even felt that at first. But it wasn't the first threat. It wasn't the second threat. Nehemiah's response. It's interesting. It's as if Nehemiah composed himself. Such a man as I run away. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a man who shrinks back from confrontation, from conflict. I'm not a guy that turns and runs the other way. Was Nehemiah known to be that? No, not at all. In fact, He's the one that prayed for four months and then went to Jerusalem and then started this work. He was not a man who shrunk back from conflict or difficulty or hard work. He met it head on. Secondly, he realized, I, who, who am I? He said, and what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I'm not enter, uh, authorized to enter into the temple. Only priests can go into the temple. And you, Shimei, are inviting me to go into the temple, into the sacred place that God has ordained for priests only to go into? You're telling me to go in there with you? It was against the law. No, other, no one other than a priest could enter the temple. You see, if these men were really coming to get Nehemiah, then he was prepared. Remember how he had equipped the Jews who were building with swords and trumpets, ready to defend against the enemy at any given time. What would lead us to think that Nehemiah wasn't ready for an attempt on his life? They knew where to find Nehemiah. You could say, he said, come get me. If, if it's true, take your best shot. Come get me. You see, the enemy will always attack from a distance, slander from afar, slander in secret. You know, as time goes on in ministry, which here, I've been the senior pastor of this church for, it's coming up on 14 years. Hard to believe. 14 years. My, how fast time has flown by, right? 14 years. And even before that, been in ministry. I regret to tell you that I have plenty of enemies. Every now and then, there's an attempt to try to undermine the work of advancing the gospel here at Refuge. Whether I hear from it, I hear about it. In fact, just a, a few weeks ago, I heard of something that someone was, was saying, untrue, slander from afar. It, by the way, it's cowardly. 
I wouldn't say that of, of another sound church that's teaching the word of God. I wouldn't say that of them. And yet without knowing a thing, I hear these things. And it's not the first time. Without knowing anything. But let me tell you that I, I, take, I take that like, like when the disciples were told, do not no longer teach in the name of Jesus. They were persecuted. They were beaten. They were yeah, like, yeah. They were like, huh. They, in fact, they went back and they told all the rest of their brothers and sisters, hey, guess what happened? <laughs> we're honored to be persecuted for the name of our Lord. I wish it weren't so, but we know how the enemy works. And I'm no exception. Neither are you. Neither are you. But as for me, I'm resolved to continue because I am engaged in a great work of God and I refuse to come down. How about you? You refuse to quit? You refuse to come down? Shemaiah, Shemaiah sounded so good, even agreeing to come alongside Nehemiah, like I said. If you agree to flee and go into the temple, man, I'm all with you. But it was all a trap. This man was on Tobiah and Sanballat's payroll. They had hired him to do this. He was no genuine prophet. He was, he was a fake. Again, Nehemiah having discernment discerned this plot in verse 12 it says and i understood and saw that god had not sent him in fact nehemiah had insight from god discerning that this guy was hired to get him to sin be accused of sinning and then taint his reputation so that others would disrespect him and make insulting remarks toward him that that's what that's what this was all about First, we see Nehemiah, again, did not fall for the enemy's deception. Secondly, Nehemiah committed his enemies to God. He just turned them over. You see, the enemy would have won if Nehemiah would have been consumed with anger or would have spent all his time defending himself. But he refused to. He didn't do that. We have one advocate. Let him do what he does perfectly. We have one who defends us. He goes before us. He also has us covered on all sides. Nehemiah simply said no to the enemy. Continue the work. And committed the enemy to the Lord. Good lessons we ought to learn as followers of Jesus Christ. Verse 15. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul in 52 days. And when all our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem. For they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. 
Listen, the wall had been in ruins for more than 100 years. And yet, it took only 52 days for it to be rebuilt. You know, I, I cannot overemphasize prayer here at Refuge. I cannot overemphasize. If we, do not, if we are not a people of prayer, then that will diminish the effectiveness of the work that we, we have given ourselves to. Why do I put so much emphasis on prayer? Why do I insist that we participate in prayer together corporately? Think about this. How long did Nehemiah pray? You remember that from chapter 1 to chapter 2? Four months. Four months he prayed. How long did it take for the wall to be built? 52 days. Less than two months. You see, the spiritual battle is always greater than the physical battle. But the physical work is impossible if we do not first engage in the spiritual work. We must. Wishful thinking didn't get those walls up. And waiting for someone else to do it didn't get it up either. It only took one man who committed himself to seeking God in prayer and was willing to lead others to a work that he was willing to give himself to, to devote himself to completely. When you get to the point of being so grieved in your heart over the condition of the world that you come to the point of seeking God and are willing genuinely to engage in his work, whatever that may be, Whatever that may be. It's at that point that God will use you to do things you never thought possible with others whose hearts he has stirred as well. And you are of a like mind. I pray that more are like that here at Refuge. When the wall was finished and the nations around them heard, it was at that point uh, they were struck with fear. Because it, that, it was at that point that they perceived that it was accomplished with the help of their God. And it was true, and their enemies were disheartened. You know, our work, <laughs> trust me, the enemy is not afraid of our work. If it's done in our own strength and effort, not afraid, whatever. But when God does the work, it puts the enemy on notice. The enemies of God notice that. Let God do the work and the, the enemy will take notice for God's work cannot be thwarted. No one is greater than him. But the question is, what are you to do? Because it comes down to that, doesn't it? Our faith, as we learn these things, we, we think, well, how does this apply to me? And, and so what am I to do? Are you of the same heart? Are you of the same mind? Be faithful in trusting him to do the work. Lead people to Jesus. Evangelize and disciple those who allow you to. And then serve him together. That's it. 
I, I keep putting that before you, church, and that's, that's it. That's what, those are our mar marching orders. Now, how we do those things is really we can get creative in, in those things, but at the same time, that is the basics of the function of the church. It's to glorify the Lord. To evangelize, to share the gospel, to witness of Jesus Christ, and then those who come to faith, disciple them, raise them up in the Lord, and teach them to follow Jesus, and then serve him together, and then do it again, and then do it again, and then do it again. Verse 17, moreover, in those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to, Doba, to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, because he was a son-in-law of Shechaniah, the son of Era, and his son Je uh, Jehohanan had taken the daughter of Meshulam, the son of Berechiah, as his wife. Also, they spoke of his good deeds in my presence. And reported my words to him. And Tobiah sent letters to make me afraid. These nobles that are listed here were pledged to Tobiah. They had family ties. Financial ties. And they were exchanging correspondence is what we see here. They, they went back and forth. They had shared too much between them. And were bound to each other. With oaths. And therefore they were blind to Tobiah's wickedness. Whether with full knowledge or in deception, it doesn't matter. They were simply looking the other way. As Tobiah clearly was making every attempt to stop Nehemiah's work. In fact, as it says here, um, the nobles had actually recommended Tobiah to... Nehemiah sent a letter of recommendation. We recommend Tobiah to be used by you. And it's like, wow, okay. You see, their allegiance was to Tobiah. It wasn't to doing the work of the Lord. It wasn't to the wall. It was just to self. It was to a man who was actually in direct opposition to the actual work of the Lord. As far as Nehemiah was concerned, his work was, was the wall. That's the, the work that the Lord had assigned to him, ordained for him to accomplish. And, and he was not about to chase after the enemy, nor allow the enemy to stop the work. You see, Nehemiah was following God's lead. And so, he continued to follow his lead. Again, Alan Redpath said this, quote, No man can lead a work of God if he allows himself to be governed by what other people think. He is to secure help, fellowship, prayer, advice, and he is foolish not to take it. But if his ultimate decisions are based on popular opinion, he is going to fail. Close quote. Again, Nehemiah he took God's lead, set his eyes upon him, 
and just kept running. I want to conclude with this. Because as we see Nehemiah, and no doubt he's, he's a good example. But you should know that Jesus, just a reminder, Jesus was tempted by Satan. Accused falsely by hypocrites, crucified. And while on the cross, was told to come down from the cross and save himself. We know this. We are familiar with this. Jesus was slandered, and yet he did not defend himself. See, he wasn't here to do that. He was, he was here at that time to go to the cross to shed his blood so that we could be forgiven. That's what his work was. And he finished it perfectly and completely. Fear did not paralyze him. Threats did not move him. None of that took him and distracted him or derailed him from the will of the Father. Jesus came to fulfill the will of the Father and nothing kept him from doing so. Willingly, he gave up his life by the power of of God, he was resurrected, and in so doing, he was victorious over sin and death for all who believe in him. You see, Nehemiah was simply a reflection of God's character. But remember Jesus. Jesus was the one who was perfect in all ways, tempted and yet without sin. He's the one who went to the cross for you died for you, and through him we know eternal life. His grace. Is your faith squarely put on him? Because if it is squarely put on him, you know you're God. You know he is almighty God. And in him we are victorious. And in him, those things that we think are impossible are possible. Nehemiah knew his God. I pray that you know him as well. Father, we thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for your love and your faithfulness. We thank you, Lord, that, Lord, when we need discernment, Lord, you are always ready to give it to us. We lack wisdom. You tell us to ask without doubting, and we will give without reproach exactly what we need. Help us, Lord, not to fear, but rather to be filled with faith. Lord, that we may keep our eyes fixed upon you. Lord, you don't promise us easy days. We know that the enemy is relentless. And so I pray that for us, Lord, that we would pray the same prayer as Nehemiah did. Oh God, strengthen our hands. Strengthen our hands that we may complete the work that you have given to us. That we can together as a people. Lord, enter into your presence. Lord, running, advancing, fighting, 
faithful to you. Knowing that our desire is to please you, to honor you, and to glorify you. And so, Father, thank you. Thank, thank you for who you are and how you lead us. In Jesus' name we pray.